This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we welcome Katie Tupi, educator and biologist from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. She's joining us today to talk about the many owls that can be seen and heard around Mississippi. Do you know what type of owl is hooting outside your window? And where did that myth of the wise old owl come from? We'll talk about those questions and more while we take your pet questions and general wildlife experiences. So join the conversation this morning. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We'd like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's uh, start with you. Let us know what you've been seeing in your yard lately. Okay, and I guess I have to start off first. This was the lunar eclipse week, and... I thought, why not? You know, how often am I going to get to see another one? So I I knew it was a a clear enough day that it would probably be fun. So I set that alarm for 3.30, and Paul got up too and went to the porch. It was really a lot of fun sitting on the porch at 3.30 to, uh, I guess, I don't know, I guess we went to bed at 4.45 or something like that. But it was a lot of fun, and it was beautiful, and I thought worth doing. And let's see, this has been a week for staying around the house, walking in the woods, beautiful, beautiful time to be in Mississippi. And um, I think I've mentioned uh, my new mockingbird. Never seen a mockingbird at our place for years. Uh, Across the road and down a little ways, there have been mockingbirds, but we've never had one. So when we came back from Oregon this time, we've got this mockingbird that, um, talking with Frank Moore, he's um, thinking it's probably a young male looking for a new territory, and he is just into everything. He's changed the whole yard dynamic. The chickadees are unhappy. The tufted tip mice are unhappy. He's just not their friend. And um, he uh, gets in the middle of everything and messes around. He doesn't come to the feeder at all. That's not what they do. But he sees his reflection in any window that doesn't have a screen on it. So as the sun moves across the sky, I guess the the reflections change. There are four windows around the house without a screen because those are not windows that we open. And so he in turn, every day you can just kind of count. He goes from window to window and sees his combatant, you know, which is himself. And he beats on the window and yells at it for a while. And then soon he goes to the next one. So anyway, it's um, it's kind of a mad dash with the new the new guy in town. We're learning to like him, but I'm not sure about the chickadees. They're still, they kind of all get around him and, and, you know, fuss at him. Nah, nah, nah. And then my no lizards have been fun this week. They are, um, they they've got a way to get into the screen ports that I don't know what it is, but I've, I've I spend so much time catching them and putting them back out of the screen because I don't want them to 
to desiccate. We've talked about that before, that it's always a good idea to put them outside. And, but I, I think now they're coming and going on their own enough that I, I may not worry about doing that anymore. And uh, another new addition to the yard, or at least our seasonal friend that's come back, is um, I have uh, ruby-crowned kinglets again, and they're one of my very favorite birds. Wispy little sounds up in the top of the trees, and um, they've been coming down. I have a camellia. I do have some non-natives in the yard, and camellias being one that I, I love enough that I've just got to have one. And um, I've got, actually, I guess I've got three, but one has a little bit of an insect problem, which is what kinglets love. So they're picking the tiny little bugs off of the um, camellias. So it sounds like with that mockingbird, you've got an avian sundial. You can tell maybe by what time it is, by which yeah. window he's... Uh... <laughs> yes, I, I guess if I, if I kept better notes on him, I could probably tell uh, the drifting of the season as we go into winter. But um, I don't know how he'll handle it when it... Uh, the winter sky might not have that. And also, kudos on a couple of Facebook uh, posts I saw you made. One was with the moon, which I, I found that you look at the moon and it's just this giant thing. And then when you try to take a picture of it, it's this tiny little dot in the screen so that you got a good picture there. And then the the anole on the um, had camouflage itself pin. on the clothespin. Oh, yeah, that was good. I've never seen one be that. I mean, he was the exact grayish brown of the clothespin. He had worked on that. And then, of course, I, he was too good at camouflage, so I grabbed the pen. <laughs> a couple of emails here to share. This one is a bird question. It says, I've, I have feeders hanging around my deck. Lots of birds come for several years until the end of this past September. There are a few cardinals, doves, chickadees, titmice, and house finches rather than dozens. We've scored, uh, scoured our feeders and soaked them in one part Clorox to nine parts water. We've cleaned the deck rail. The feeders have new feed in them. I've Googled and found no help. Could you please address the problem? I appreciate it so much. I'm sad because so many of my birds have stopped visiting. Oh, goodness. Oh, I hate to say it, but, yeah, I guess I would take them down for a while again. And um, I know it's so much fun in the winter to watch. And when you um, – when um, they get more serious about feeding usually on your feeders maybe try a new spot in the yard and um, she may have already looked on Cornell but All About Birds has got a lot of tips and they're good about um, being up to date in anything that's happening and Katie might have a solution too have you heard any any other things to try when you're having those problems with your feeder stations I don't know. I would probably, like you said, probably take them down for a little while, kind of give the yard a refresh. And Yeah. So I wish I had a better answer. Yeah, because it's so hard to clean underneath the ground, underneath the, underneath the feeder. I'm thinking it might be the problem area then if she's got those feeders nice and clean that it could be having to do with that area around the, the ground. Of course, she's probably got them situated right where it's convenient <laughs> to watch. But you might try them in another place or, you know, or just give it another break, yeah. So what is it about the the sea or the feed falling on the ground that would scare off the birds? Is it attract pests of some sort are they just neater than that they don't like seeing the mess on the ground well if all right well no, if the if they're f 
food on the ground, birds will go down to the ground to eat it, and then they poop all around that area, and that can um, start disease, bacteria or fungus diseases, I think is a big problem too. So um, having a, a clean area underneath the feeder is real hard to do. But, you know, a lot of the birds are really more at home eating on the ground than they are up on the feeder. So when it falls on the ground, that's great for them. But they're not in, in a natural environment. They're not used to the food being concentrated in those areas. You know, that's a problem like with feeding deer or anything else. People feed deer or wild turkey, then you've got their poop concentrated in an area too so it's it's always I think important to move that around to move those uh, feeding stations around so that the ground you get a new spot and as you said all about birds uh, from Cornell University a great resource online for all things birds so I, we we've recommended that in the past and I've been there a couple of times it really is an exhaustive site about uh, birds so uh, Dr. Major, as always, has joined us on the line from his clinic. Dr. Major, we have a, pe- a pet question here for you, an email. This one says, my adult cat is not eating any wet food, but he clearly wants some. None of us oldies will do. When he does eat wet food, he only slurps the broth, hardly eats the flesh, fish, fowl, or red meat. We've tried my human tuna, fancy feast, gravy lovers, and broth series. Help, he's very healthy, robust, nine-and-a-half-pound, two-year-old. So, um... Curious that the cat would eat the broth but not the, the good stuff. Any thoughts on this one? I think I'd take a tip from what Livia said about uh, maybe not feeding the canned food for a while. My cats have gone on strike about the canned food, and uh, they are eating the dry food like it's crazy. But uh, I have stopped putting out the wet food right now for a while just to see they're mad at me because they'll go look at it if I put it out, but they haven't been eating it. So I'm not sure exactly what to say uh, with that. I think I would maybe make it more of a treat rather than trying to feed them the wet food uh, every day and see if that might help or maybe change brands. But it is, cats are strange creatures. They, they're pretty fastidious. And if they decide they don't want to do something, they're not going to. So maybe give them a break for a little while. That back to the uh, go ahead. Back to the back to the bird feeders. I remember the critter catcher uh, friend that we have uh, made a point that if you can't keep your uh, uh, seed on the ground and everything cleaned up, one of the biggest problems in populated area are rats. Rats will come out and you don't may not realize they're there, yes. but they'll come out at night and feed on the the uh, grain that falls to the ground. Also raccoons and possums, but anyway, I'm just saying that it might be good to try to really keep it clean underneath. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That's an increased source of disease, too, germs, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I had to, my cat had a similar thing where he he stopped wanting the little treats I got him. I think I get him one of the ones that come in the little foil pouch. And it did the same thing where I stopped giving him to him for a while, and then the next time I did, he was back into him. So I, I guess maybe sometimes... Cats, the picky eaters that they are, get a little tired of something, and that's their way of saying, "Hey, I want something different for a while." So, and with my and with my cats, they're demanding the uh, what cats, you know, your pets demand things. But anyway, uh, they're demanding like the uh, remember the little cartoon on TV or whatever for the guys throwing uh, 
food over the balcony yeah. and cats jumping up about two stories to get it. Mine love that, and I throw it out. I've got a place I can put it on the floor, and they forage on it, but it's gone in just minutes. So they do get that, uh, and I, it's kind of like uh, us with treats, I guess. But anyway, they, I'm holding off the canned food right now for a while. And we'll start it back maybe in a week or so. All righty. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. And our guest today is Katie Tupi from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment, you can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. Let's uh, spend a few minutes with Katie, and then we'll get into the calls on the line. So good morning, Katie. Thanks for being with us. Um, you know, one thing that we like to ask guests on the show is kind of how you got interested in wildlife in, in being a biologist. Uh, sure. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Um, so I am a former science teacher, but um, I have always been, uh, as I, I affectionately re- refer to myself as a nature nerd. Um, being outside is, is my happy place, and... Um, um, interned uh, with the National Park Service right after college, doing some, some environmental ed, and then ended up um, in, in the classroom teaching science. And uh, um, and after a few moves, uh, ended up in Mississippi and um, had the opportunity to to take my my love of teaching and my love of outdoors and and meld them. Uh, meld them together and, uh, you know, started working at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, so this is, it's always been a passion of mine to, to study wildlife. Um, and, and I get to both do that, uh, study wildlife, but, uh, but teach others and to, to appreciate it as well. Well, uh, the producer Java Chapman and I were talking yesterday uh, that, you know, we talk about a lot of different creatures on the show and have mentioned owls sort of in passing a couple of times. We've not done a show sort of devoted owls uh, in a long time. So we appreciate your stopping by. And one thing that you wanted to tell us about was an upcoming owl related event at the Museum. Yes, very, very, very excited about this event. Um, So next Friday, on November 18th, we are going to have our first annual Owl Prowl. Um, So this will be an evening event uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. It is dedicated to all of our... uh, native nocturnal species here in Mississippi. Uh, sometimes with our events, they, they get a little left out. So we're going to highlight highlight uh, our nocturnal friends. Um, the Owl Prowl will, um, will take place uh, partially outside and also inside the museum. So we will have guided night hikes uh, where we were, we we're going to try and call some owls um of course you know you never know what you'll get but but an evening on the trail is always fun and exciting so we're going to try and call up some of our owls uh back behind the museum and and see if we can get a call back uh from them um we will have uh, our state ornithologist there to to talk owls our state mammologists um, will be there talking bats and other uh nocturnal mammals um, there will be hands-on activities for kiddos, uh, dissecting owl pellets, doing some crafts. Um, there'll be a food truck there so you can come have dinner with us, uh, roast a marshmallow over the campfire, and just have a fun uh, nocturnal animal evening. You know, I do have to mention, though, and I'm so glad that you've started this because um, if Martha Cooper's listening, she'll remember when we first opened the new building, we did that for probably three years in a row. We had owl 
walks and and we learned right away we had to just kind of go with whatever appeared but usually we were successful in getting them up yeah i'm so glad when i saw this i was very tickled i'm excited i think i think uh i think it'll be a really really neat time and and, you know and like you said you you never know we we may hear owls uh we may hear several Mm -hmm. we may hear one uh you know but we'll also be looking for spider eye shine and and just doing a lot of other neat things on our our night hikes So that is uh, a week from tomorrow, Friday, November 18th. Did I get that right? That's it. Okay, very good. Thank you. Uh, how many different types, uh, species of owls are here in Mississippi? Well, that's a great question. Um, so we have we have four non-migratory, so four birds that are going to owls that are going to hang out here uh, year-round that, that you're guaranteed to see in some part of the in Mississippi. Um, that's going to be your great horned owl. Uh, I heard one uh, calling in my backyard just last night up in, in Madison County. So you've got your great horned owl, uh, your barn owl, uh, barred owl, and uh, your eastern screech owls. Uh, now we also have some some visitors that come, some migratory birds. Um, so the list... Uh, the list kind of varies there. Some people uh, claim, for example, that, that they've seen uh, western burrowing owls, um, which is amazing. I would love to see those. Um, your short-eared owls, your long-eared owls, uh, your northern sawwits. Um, and, and there are even cases of people uh, reporting that they have seen snowy owls. So, uh, again, I would I would love to see that. Um, those are going to be your migratory uh, birds, though, that, that are not here all the time they're going to come visit visit us from the north um so but but you know if, if you're out uh any given part of the year uh those four those four non-migratory birds are, are going to be our our main species here we'll be visiting with katie throughout the hour but let's uh, get a couple of phone calls here we begin in beaumont our friend sue has called in today good morning sue you're on the air with us hi <clears throat> i'd like to remind everyone this is american indian american indian History Month, or being more politically correct, Native American uh, uh, Indigenous History Month. <laughs> now, and, uh, due to disease and genocide, many ancient tribes have no one left to tell their stories, so please think of them during this month, and I thank you. Thank you, Sue. All right, Sue, good to hear from you. Let's uh, move on next. We've got, uh, let's see, who is next? Uh, Alvin in Columbus is on the line, so we'll go to him. Good morning, Alvin. You're on the air with us. Uh, how you doing? Um, i got a couple questions about Squirrels and bird feeders you were talking about earlier. Okay. My problem is I can't figure out a way to hang my feeder without the squirrels getting to it. I hang it on a string, and then I put it on a mast, and mm-hmm. they, they, they still find a way to get to it. And, yeah. um, and I was wondering if um, if you get one of those decoy owls to put around it, does that deter squirrels? It but will... if I did that, will it deter the birds from coming to the feeders. Yeah, I was going to say it might deter both. And um, that is the bane of existence for a lot of birders. And for years, I didn't appreciate it because I didn't have squirrels either. And now that I have squirrels, it is amazing how far a squirrel can jump, too. Uh, yeah. So, um, all right, I've been... I, I've not been real successful with these because I think I've not invested in really doing it right. But what people tell me is the most squirrel-proof way to do it is to have a pole with the feeder on top of it 
and not be too close to branches that are big enough for them to to be able to jump from, and then put one of those baffles on the bottom. Have you ever seen that? A lot of times they'll, uh, uh, like a metal, it, it, it kind of is shaped like the cone that a dog has to wear so he oh, won't yeah, lick like a sore. Yeah, tie downs keep rats off a ship. Yes, yes. All right, and uh, people use them on duck boxes a lot because um, uh, things want to crawl up and get the uh, the wood duck eggs. So I think if you build something like that or buy it, that that's the best. Libby, uh, Troy. Yes, Troy. Uh, it can be quite entertaining with the squirrels, of course. And uh, some people will actually go to the extent of gre- greasing the uh, pole <laughs> yeah. on where the squirrel will flip. They do make one now that has a spinner on it on the bottom. And basically what I'm saying, a spinner... Actually, the squirrel gets on that, it goes around and round and round, and uh, like a merry-go-round, and they'll eventually fall off. People have gone to all kind of extent, but they do make that commercially now, one that has a spinner on the bottom. So it might be fun to try that. Yeah, I was going to say, Dr. Major, that sounds like, I mean, that would be, you would almost want the squirrel to come on so you could see. Yeah, 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 and maybe the squirrel will enjoy that. He can't eat, but he gets a ride, yeah. Or he's too sick to his stomach to eat anyway, so he goes. <laughs> All right, Alvin, hope uh, those were some suggestions for you. That is a problem that we hear quite frequently on the air, so uh, good luck with that, and maybe do some investigation online, see what you come up with. Uh, let's go next. We've got an owl question, I think, and it comes from Charles, who's calling from Baymanette in Alabama. Charles, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Okay, yes. I, 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 moved, I used to live in Midtown Mobile, and there we used to have great horned owls and uh, barn owls, and I think I even saw a barn owl at one time. I lived there about 20 years. And uh, we moved to Baymanette, Alabama, which is kind of up in the in, Bay, in Baldwin County. We're out in the woods, and I'm hearing a noise that sounds like a little horse, kind of uh, just making a noise, just neighing kind of sound. kind of. And I think it might be a screech owl, but it, it almost sounds like a little horse. Uh, yes, that sounds exactly like it. You're... There you go. Your, your eastern exactly screech out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I try to call it, but they never call back. <laughs> no, they never call back to me either. Um, if Even if I'm looking right at them, they just stare at me. Um, uh, but the, your eastern screech owls, yes. So they, they have that little whinny, um, that, that sound that they make. Um, they also have a, tr- yeah, a trilling that they'll make too. Um, but, but, yeah, if you hear that, that's, that's uh, your eastern screech. Well, I've been I've been living here for about two years now, and I've I've never seen a great horned owl over here. But we used to see them all over uh, where I lived in Midtown Mobile, and there's probably a big rat population in Midtown too, <laughs> Mobile. And I don't think we have that out in the woods. I don't see any rats. <laughs> all right, Charles. Thanks for the call. Glad we could help you identify that. But that uh, definitely was a, a screech owl. Let's uh, stay on. Get one more phone call in before our next break, and it goes to Jeremy, who is in Mobile, calling in today. Good morning, Jeremy. Go ahead. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. What do you have for us? Um, so I got this. Uh, I've seen maybe five or six times uh, during the summer. I think it's a gray fox that is coursing through my backyard. It's maybe two hundred feet from the house near a stream. Um, and he's always going in the same direction. I was just curious, what, what, what is the kind of range for those guys? And, and I haven't seen him since, uh, since we had that little cold snap, and now we've got Summer Junior going on. 
Okay, so you think, and you're pretty sure it's a gray fox, or you I know it is. So. Yeah. I, I think so because uh, I've never seen a red fox down this far. But yeah. I, ca- I come I come originally from from northeast Georgia, so uh, I'm pretty sure it's a gray fox. And I don't know how far they wander for food. My guess is not terribly far, but um, I could be surprised. And I guess that means we need to get Kathy Shropshire or somebody to come on, <laughs> mammalogist, to come and do us a a, a fox show and. I We've done that, but it's been years. So, and it would likely depend you. on their their food, their access to food. You know, if uh, if an area is uh, if their prey is depleted, then then they probably walk walk farther. I don't know for sure. Yeah, um, but. but it's so much fun if you can find if, where they're living, oh. especially when there's baby foxes, because they usually they're. Um, not so terribly afraid of people, especially if they're living pretty close to where you are, that they they kind of will let you get some good looks at the babies and them. Yeah, try and get some some pictures uh, yeah. from a safe distance. Yeah, well, and every every time I I'm, I'm, it's, it's when we're sitting out on the back porch, you know, having a uh, uh, digestive aid after yes. dinner, um, and we we'll just see him kind of kind of walk by, and you know, like. This is my. This is my. This is my house. What are you talking about? What <laughs> you know, a treat! Care. That's great. Yeah, yeah he, he probably care, you know? probably has an established den somewhere uh, nearby, and your your house is his house. So <laughs> yeah, that makes it sounds like yeah. he's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and uh, to the squirrel feeder problem. Yes. Um, yes, greasing the pole does actually work. Uh, just unflavored Crisco. We'll do the trick. Um, put it in the center of your yard. Make sure it's about ten feet tall. Uh, but and also, I have invested in one of those um, the spinner things you were talking about. It is hilarious. Set up a GoPro because <laughs> you will get the the funniest videos you've ever seen of squirrels trying to hang on for dear life, and then they get flung about ten feet away, and they just shake it off. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna try that again. It's it's really hilarious. So. All right, um, great show, guys. I, I love I, I love listening to you on the way to work. So, Thanks, Jeremy, thank for calling in. And now my evil mind has just come up. You get the greased pole and the spinner, and that will really give the uh, the, the squirrel something to think about. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, and our guest today is Katie Tupi, biologist and educator for the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, Libby had an event that she needed to go to, so she had to leave the show a little bit earlier, uh, early, and has left us. But uh, we're here with Katie and Dr. Major for the rest of the hour uh, talking about owls. Uh, so, uh, Katie, let's talk a little bit about uh, physiology of owls for a bit. What gives them their keen eyesight and hearing? Sure. Great, great question. Um, so, so a question that I get a lot from people at the museum is what makes an owl an owl because um, uh Believe it or not, they don't all hoot. <laughs> uh, in fact, some make a very different sound, including the eastern screech that we heard a little while ago. Um, so when you're when you're looking at owls now, owls again are um, are predators. They are uh, you know they are they are carnivores. They they are built for hunting. Um, so your owls uh, are going to have. Um, a facial disc around them, and that could be different shapes. So you could have a, like a heart-shaped disc or um, a more oval-shaped disc. But uh, essentially, what what that is is that is uh, stiff feathers that make kind of a circular shape around their face. So I bring that up because that's going to help help them with hearing. Um, owls are are have an incredible 
incredible uh, sense of, of of hearing. Um, in fact, your your barn owls are some of uh, some of the best uh, hunters that use hearing uh, as a as a way to hunt. Um, but so so that facial disc is is going to to help uh, almost like a a cone or satellite mm-hmm. disc dish to help uh sound come in um and and this is super neat um so owls have owls have ears they have holes not on the outside like us obviously but they they have holes in uh in their their heads that are uh, ocular openings that are actually offset so one is is a little bit higher than the other so um, what this is going to do is uh, they'll be able to hear left and right like us we can tell if a sound is coming from our left side or our right side but because one is a little bit higher, this actually helps them to to tell the the height or the the depth that the sound is coming from. So they, between um, triangulating the sound using the the offset of the ears uh, and then those facial discs, they're just they're amazing. They have an amazing sense of hearing, and and they rely on that. Uh, like I said, for hunting, uh, their vision. Uh, they are you know you've you've noticed most people. Uh, uh, are very aware of the large eyes of an owl. Um, uh, we have a, a rescued owl that we work with um, at the museum, a barred owl, and he has very just large, uh, piercing, dark eyes. Um, and uh, so so that's going to really help them collect light so uh, so that they are able to see better uh, at night than, than we are. Uh, it doesn't take much light for them to – they can – they can just use a little bit of light and have a really good uh, sense of vision. So, so their large eyes, uh, their offset ears—they're they're just incredible hunters with that amazing sense of sight and sense of, of hearing. This is unusual. Normally, when we get callers, sometimes we're talking about the thing that we're talking about. Sometimes it's about nature and pets and that sort of thing. We've got four owl calls ready to go. But first, I did want to—I think you brought in some owl calls or hoots or whatever so why don't we if java's ready in the control room why don't we listen to a couple so uh, let java play one and then you can tell us which one we're hearing <laughs> all right that, that oh. is certainly not <laughs> i want to describe a hoot uh, uh, right. like i said not all owls hoot um and if you are in the woods and hear that that is that could be terrifying <laughs> um uh, in fact i think a lot of people think that they're about to get mauled by a big cat or something <laughs> when when they hear that uh, so that's going to be your barn there there it is good. that's your barn owl uh barn owl uh and uh barn owls are uh they're very different from from the other owls the the, the typical owls um if you will they're in a family all their own um their coloration's going to be different so your barn owls are going to be the ones that have uh the they're very light colored compared to your our other species here um they've got white chest uh more of a golden or or t- Tan uh, on their back. Um, I have a lot of people. I've had a lot of people lately say, "Oh, there's a big white owl in my yard," um, and and they're around the Jackson area, and and that's it is a barn owl that uh, that you're going to see. Um, those guys are going to hunt in big open fields, um, and less less uh, taking refuge in the woods. So that's why their coloration is different. But yes, they they are the screeching. Uh, sounds like a woman screaming in the woods. That's that's your barn owl. All right, uh, let's do one more, then we'll go to the phone calls. Uh, 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 
do it again. That they, that is. I didn't know if it was, another one was coming. Uh, See, they, there they, they it trip is. You up there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is what a lot of people will know as the "Who cooks for you? Who cooks for you all?" Uh, and those are your barred owls. So it sounds very similar to barn, um, but it, they get their name from the bars, the the uh, horizontal brown horizontal lines uh, on their feathers, on their chest. Um, so, but those those are your who cooks for you, who cooks for you all. So if you hear that in your yard, then, um, then you probably have a pair of barred owls. All right. Off to the phone lines we go. Rachel's been patiently waiting for us, so we'll go first to her who she's called in from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Go ahead. Okay. So my mother used to tell a story about her best friend, when she was a child, looking out her window at night and seeing a circle of owls on the ground, and they were hooting across and around the circle to one another, and bearing in mind that the owls, a group of owls, is called a parliament, uh, does your guest have anything to say that might bear some credence to this observation? That is so interesting. Um, and I, I was trying to think, a uh, circle of owls. So if they were on the ground, because um, most owls uh, around here are going to hang out uh, up in trees. So it makes me wonder. Um, I'm not sure. What area did you say this was? It was in Mississippi. And it, uh, this was years ago, probably the mid-30s, uh, uh, 1930s or so. And uh, they did live in a rural, very rural area. Okay, so so you're. It makes me wonder if there. Uh, we have some owls that that sit up in the trees and come down, and then some owls that hang out more on the ground and even nest uh, on the ground. Obviously, your burrowing owls, um, which we talked about, sometimes uh, migrate here, but also short-eared owls. Um, they're gonna they they have nest on the the ground. Um, uh, they're not typically gonna gonna nest down here, but again, in the 30s, it could have been. So, so it makes me wonder if if maybe it was some uh, uh, some kind of a mating ritual or territorial, you know, trying to figure out which owls are going to be able to stay uh, because they do get very territorial. And uh, but I. I have never seen anything like that. I think uh, that that sounds really neat. I wish I had more uh, a more direct answer as to what that is. But um, but yeah, it could be possibly be one of those animals, uh, one of those owls, like the short-eared owl that's more on the ground. All right, uh, Rachel. Thanks for the call. Good trivia there. A group of owls is called a parliament. Parliament. Yes. All right. So uh, let's stay on the phone lines. Next, Jackson uh, from Jackson. Karen has called in. Karen, it's your turn. So go ahead. Thanks. Um, what can I do to make the habitat in my yard more um, interesting to owls? Great question. Uh, so, so like I mentioned before, uh, we have a, a lot of owls, like like our bards and our screech owls, that are going to be found up in the trees, and and you can actually put bird boxes up for them. So. Um, there are you can go online and find specifications, but uh, those those guys are, are going to try and uh, find like crevices in trees to to make nests in. Sometimes they steal nests from from other birds uh, like hawks that have taken off for a little while. Um, but you can make your you can make your yard uh, appealing uh, by by putting. Um, by trying to put put a bird box up there, so you can look again. Uh, uh, 
depending on what area you're in, you I, I, I think most people in Mississippi uh, have barred owls nearby. So um, so you can you can definitely put barred owl boxes uh, up in your trees and and give them a safe place to nest. Is it common for them to use the uh, bird boxes? It's kind of hit or miss. It depends on um, the availability of of other uh, of other area or uh, nesting sites in the area. Um, so, but it's definitely worth worth a try. Uh, you know, it's it's if if they have something if they have a a crevice that that they uh, prefer that's uh, you know more more their speed they may do that. But it's it's definitely worth a try to bring them in. All right, okay. thank you. Thanks for calling in, Karen. So uh, hooting, I guess, can mean a number of different things. Is it mating call, marking territory, all of the above? Um, it is. It is all of the above. So um, so usually the sounds that an owl makes are, are going to be um, for mating um, or defending a territory. Um, this this time of year, especially, like I, I mentioned, I, I heard the, the great horn uh, in, in my backyard. Um, they're starting to set up their territory. So they're, they're coming in. They're going to start calling. Um, they, they like to have their little area, uh, depending on the species, like bards are usually going to stay within like a six-mile uh, radius. And so uh, they're going to come in and they're going to make their calls as a territorial to any, any other bird around them like, hey, I'm here. I'm claiming this area, and then and then they will also, you know, owls have lots of different sounds they make, but they'll use their calls to start attracting mates as well. So so used for terror, defending territory, claiming territory, um, uh, letting you know that that they don't like you in their territory, um, and uh, and then also for for communicating with each other. All right, you're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, and our guest today is Katie Tupi. We've been learning about uh, the uh, owl. Katie is works at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, by the way, if you ever miss any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your podcasting app, or you can download the MPB Public Media app, and you can get uh, access to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. So, uh, Katie, earlier in the hour, we were talking about uh, bird feeders and the need to keep the area clean. And your husband, who's listening to the show, emailed in and had a suggestion. So why don't you share that with us? Yes. So uh, thank you for listening, honey. Um, (laughs) So uh, my husband, John, uh, emailed in and and said that if you uh, you use a leaf blower underneath your bird feeder, um, just kind of get some of the old uh, the old seed and then you know some of the the scat left behind so that might be a good way to to clean up that area uh, under there so so that was a, a tip from John all right uh, and we have I think one more uh, owl call to listen to and we're gonna get the second one here in a minute I know well maybe not that's a that's a shy owl that- <laughs> but that's the classic yeah. The classic hoots. Yes, I, I think was, everybody knows. I was thinking the same thing, Java. That really that sounds like the typical owl that we all kind of associate, yes. or the sound that we Ab- associate. Absolutely, absolutely, and and this is what we heard uh, last night in our backyard. So that's uh, that's a great horn owl. Um, so uh, again, of of your of your year round owl species here in Mississippi, um, you know you've got the hoot from from 
the bar barred owl, which was like that that hoo hoo hoo, uh, and then you have um, that one, which is very much your your hoot owl, and that's that's your great horned. So um, I hear them. I have I am terrible at seeing the great horns, which is crazy because they are the largest owl that we have here, um, and I know they're there because I, I hear them, but they're very good at camouflaging. So uh, back to the phone lines we go, starting in the kill. Joe is on the line. Good morning, Joe. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Another great show. Um, I have an owl question, but real quick about the squirrels and the grease poles. I did that, and that's just got to be as funny as uh, the merry-go-round because (laughs) they slide down the pole if they get that that high. It's it's quite funny. But um, my owl question is, I'm an avid birder here down here on the the Gulf Coast, and uh, with the Audubon Society, and we do bird birding trips. And if we go into a um, an abandoned barn, you can see underneath a nesting site or a roosting site. You can you could pick up a whole skeleton of what they ate the night before or that night. Can you explain? Or I know, but tell the audience, uh, the listeners, how the owls eat and digest, and I'll hang up. All right, Joe, thanks for the question this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, That's a a great segue into uh, owl pellets, which I I definitely wanted to mention. Um, So uh, so again, you know, owls are they're they're carnivores. So their diet is going to consist of uh, rodents, snakes, small birds, uh, frogs. Um, These uh, when they eat, they are able to digest uh, the soft soft tissue, um, but they are unable to digest uh, the tougher the bones, the the fur, uh, feathers if if it's a bird. So uh, in in their gizzard, they kind of uh, collect all of this stuff, kind of gets mashed together, and after they have a meal. Um, owls will actually re- regurgitate um, what is called uh, an owl pellet. And it is a, a mass, um, a, a clump, kind of looks like scat, um, that, is, that consists of, uh, again, all of those hard, undigestible parts, the bones, the feathers, uh, the fur. Uh, so, so something that um, I think a lot of people have done in school, will be doing it at the owl prowl, is, is uh dissecting those owl pellets so you can actually take take those apart uh i always say um the best science is gross science so uh it is a little gross but it's super neat because you can you can take those apart and and find um and find the bones of of what the owl has eaten and and many times owls are not going to tear apart their food like a hawk would they're going to swallow it whole so you'll have you know uh, an intact skull which is it's always neat to find a skull because then the 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 prey is pretty identifiable um so again kind of gross but but really neat uh to to be able to tell what identify what your owls ate uh based on um the the bones uh that are inside of its pellets that it has regurgitated all right, I think we've got time for one more call. Mikey from Mobile is on the line. Mikey, got about two minutes. Go ahead, please. I'm going to be fast. Um, uh, there were a triplets of um, what I think are from the your, thank you for those sounds, Java. Um, uh, the horned owl, the, the last one, the fourth of the ones that you, you, you played. Uh, and uh, they hung out in my yard for about three days. 
and they are amazing, amazing creatures. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Owl of Minerva, shall I say. <laughs> and y'all that want to look up Greek mythology, go ahead and do that. Um, uh, but uh, one of them gave me the most amazing experience I've ever had, one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had, when he stopped at the, uh, it was drought, drought here, very dry for quite some time, and uh, he or she, and uh, landed on the edge of a, a plastic basin that I put on the ground with a drip thing for um, the other wildlife, and looked at me very piercingly through the, okay, uh, <laughs> through the windows, and I know this sounds crazy, but I'm telling you this is what happened. Um, and is happening, and um, I'm grateful that it's happening. Um, he wanted water, oh, okay. so he was could get water wherever he could find it. Make it. Mikey, we're right out about a time, but thanks for calling. It's always good to hear from you on Creature Comforts. Uh, Katie, is there a resource online that folks might go to to learn more about owls? Um, sure. So, so Audubon offers. They have wonderful, uh, wonderful information about owls uh cornell um do a quick google search make sure it's a good reputable source like like audubon or cornell and um and yeah you can you can also find the calls on there too so you can uh you can increase your knowledge on owl calls all right that's going to wrap us up for today creature comforts is a production of mpb think radio funding provided in part by listeners to hear today's show or previous show you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org our show is produced by Java Chapman. Our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Katie Tupi, I'm Kevin Farrell. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.